Hello, hello, you found us once again on Boomerangs. This is Ruth. And this is Mike. Today we have so many things to go into, but it's basically going to be the arts and leisure episode of Boomerangs. To start off, we're going to talk about the tragedy that happened when Alec Baldwin discharged a gun onto his cinematographer and also hit his director and killed the cinematographer. It was a film called Rust that he was mm-hmm. also a producer on. It turns out there's a lot of backstory of what happened. It wasn't just one goof. There had been a lot of concerns about safety issues that the crew had. Mm-hmm. In fact, what was the name of the woman who was killed, the cinematographer? Helene Helena Hutchins. Hutchins. Helena Hutchins. And I believe Jeff Souza is the name of the director. Jeff Souza was hit in the shoulder and released. Mm. But the crew had walked off of the set. It was unclear. Either three or six members of the crew had walked off the day before over both concerns over gun safety and also the fact that they had been filming... New Mexico somewhere. In New Mexico. Some of them, after a long long day shoot, a 14 day shoot, were right. given hotel rooms in Albuquerque. And so they had to drive an hour wow. to hotel rooms. Isn't it ironic that this is the same week that the so IATSE got all those improvements in their yes. contracts? Yes. In fact, somebody said it's, and like it's, it's so sad that this woman, the cinematographer, didn't get to actually experience the gains that they right, made right. through their negotiations with the Producers Guild. Yeah. So that's what I know. Wow, that's more than I knew. I just heard maybe a little bit about them walking off, but how fucked up is that? To have crew members bringing to your attention that their safety matters and to still continue. I get that he didn't know the gun was loaded, but what kind of idiot points a gun at anybody, whether it's loaded or not, and and then pulls a trigger? Well, he should he should be held responsible on some level. Was he not doing it in the course of shooting a scene, though? I don't know where he was supposed to be aiming it. I wondered if maybe it was supposed to be one of those scenes oh, where, where he was shooting it at the sh- camera. Oh, I thought he just did it for kicks. Oh, I don't think so. No, I it was think part it was, of a scene I being think so. filmed. Joe. Oh, well, that's a little less yeah. disturbing. What we know is that there is someone on a set called an armorer right. who is supposed to be very experienced in showing the members of the cast and right. crew how to handle guns. Right, right. Also in charge of how to either put blanks in them or load them in whatever way they need to be right, loaded. Right, right. And to be aware of the danger. Yes. And this was a new armorer, a woman who had only oh, been the head. She was inexperienced. She was not as experienced as a lot of them are. She had only been the head armorer on one other shoot. Mm. So here she was on this one. Mm. And the gun went not from her to Alec Baldwin, which it was supposed to, mm-hmm. but from her. Somehow it got in the hands of the assistant director. Right. And then went to Alec Baldwin, who said it was a cold gun. He said cold gun. That's right. I remember reading that part. But it wasn't somehow. And we don't even know what was in the gun. We don't know if it was a blank that was packed wrong. Right. And had too much wadding in it and then became a projectile. They're calling it a projectile in those news stories. Okay. But, I, but maybe they don't know what kind of projectile. Maybe not. There's something in the gun. Yeah. Well, That's crazy. But if Baldwin's executive producer, then it does go to him. It does. Oh, completely. And you said that there was a history with the assistant director. Yeah. Dave Hall. 
there was a woman connected to the project who said that she had worked with him on another project a couple of years ago. I don't remember what it was, a series of some kind where there were also safety concerns and he wasn't hired again. Really? Yeah, so wow. he had a history. I don't know. I imagine when a producer's putting together the creative team for yes. a film, they pick their buddies and their people they're comfortable with and people they've worked with before and if they're available, all of yeah. that, if they can get them. But it'll be interesting because I imagine lawsuits will be coming out soon, maybe even criminal yeah. charges. Oh, there may be criminal negligence charges. Yeah. yeah. I once was on a set, a stage set, mm -hmm. and I was an understudy, so I hadn't gone through using all of the props. And a gun was in one of them, and I was supposed to pick it up and hold it to my head and fire it. Oh, wow. It was full of gunpowder, wow. and it sprayed the side of my head. I mean, I was an understudy, so I had to go on, of course. Wow. But it was really scary. I've wondered about that ever since, about the use of guns that have so-called blanks in them wow. and how unsafe that might be. Alec Baldwin just seems like a volatile guy. Yeah, sounds like it. And there's a history of that, too, of his being out of control emotionally and all of that. Yeah, he hit a photographer one time mm -hmm. and was sued. And that terrible voicemail he left with his, for his for daughter, his daughter years ago. And he had this very, very dramatic Break divorce yeah. from his wife, Kim Bassinger. Kim. And also, this marriage, they have, I think, six children under the age of seven. Wow. And two of them are less than six months apart because they used a surrogate in one of them. Oh, no. And he's not so young. He's 61. Right. So they have all of these kids. She claimed that she was Spanish. Do you know this story? No. She was an oh influencer and claimed that she was Spanish, and her name is Hilaria. Mm. Well, her real name is Hillary. Oh. And she doesn't have a Spanish background. And their entire wedding was, you know, she had one of those mantillas. And to honor her Spanish ancestors. background. Yeah. And the ceremony was both in Spanish and English. Oh, my God. And someone went back in her history, someone who knew her from college, mm -hmm. and said, this woman isn't Spanish. Oh. She's as waspy as I am. Oh, she went man. to a waspy school. Her father loved Spain, and I guess that she had spent summers in Spain with her family but not with her Spanish family, right. with her family, right. who had moved there right. because they loved it so much. But I, anyway, so, I, and he defended her and said, you know, these people are just full of hate, but it was just a weird, weird story. That's the kind of person he's like, doesn't cro cross his T's and dot his eyes. Right, right. Oh boy, that seems like trouble. And I'm just sitting here thinking, if this happened to Tom Hanks, Mm. We have a totally different feeling about it. Of course, Tom Hanks right. is one of those people who's kind and generous right. and would never hurt anyone. Right. But with Alec Baldwin, it's kind of like, well, he's a train wreck. Yeah. Boy, such a freaky, weird thing. Uh, and a young woman, and she had a young child. Mm -hmm. Just so unnecessary. Right. That's what's really horrible about it. Right. So unnecessary. Right. Speaking of unnecessary, let's go on to Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. You saw part of his I watched most special. of it, yeah. I have about 10, 15 minutes to go. What'd you think? I like Dave Chappelle. I think he's aware. I think that he presents this stuff and it's uncomfortable, but I think it's in a larger context of his being aware of these issues. And the, the only part that I found troubling was when he said having sex with a trans woman, the, it wouldn't feel like real pussy. It would be like something else. And it, that's not blood. That's beet juice. Yeah. And that was a like little weird. Like the Impossible Burger. That, oh, yeah. So you weren't offended? I was not offended because I think he's presenting this stuff in a framework of 
we need to understand each other. And he's illustrating that. What I heard on NPR that opened my mind a little bit was the woman from Netflix who did the walkout and actually she got fired. Uh, tra- was she trans or I just think so. standing up for trans I think rights? so. And she was interviewed on NPR and she talked about his blind spot in terms of what she called intersection. He was not allowing for the fact that black people who he very effectively speaks about for. around the racism that they've experienced. So I I heard her and I that opened my eyes and ears and heart because that's something I don't have a firsthand experience of. I can see her point well, he and was, I haven't watched the whole thing yet. So there's I think more. you should watch it because the centerpiece of the show is this monologue that he's doing right. about Daphne, the okay. transgender woman that he had this friendship with. Right. The thing that Chappelle has always said is he doesn't hate gay people, he hates white people, which is fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get that. Right. It's, the thing that I don't like about what he does is he's punching down. Punching up is is something that Lenny Bruce did and Richard Pryor did and George Carlin did. They were always punching up at the establishment and the man, but... Chappelle is punching down on people. The LGBTQ community is discriminated against just like black people are. Mm -hmm. They don't have any more representation or have probably less representation in public discourse than black people do. I don't know about all that stuff. I do know Lenny Bruce. I remember one of the lines he had that made me laugh the hardest and I'm embarrassed to say now was a joke stereotyping Filipino people. So I don't think he was all that virtuous. Oh, maybe not. In his comedy. Maybe not. I don't mean to excuse the heartlessness of it but I think Chappelle is a great comedian and not that he couldn't have made a mistake and maybe he did here but I think that's what comedians do they go into those difficult places that are hard to talk about and they risk offending I've seen so many bad comics where the whole joke is about punching down like you're saying got it from what I've seen of, this, of his special so far, it's very much framed in his being aware of pain that people experience huh. of all kinds of different groups. Not that he's holding himself up as a saint. But you think he's identifying with it more. Yeah, than... and I think from the Richard Pryor experience that I talked about last week, yeah. there is that. And here we are 50 years later, and there's still that. Yes. There's still... I agree with you on that. Yeah. Yes. Well, I have to watch all of it and process it. But I don't find him really dismissive. I find him kind of purposely provocative. I think he's looking at it and struggling with it. And he probably has a bit of an axe to grind because he's been accused of this punching down by people who've never seen his act. And so he's got probably a sensitivity there. Well, I think he's punching down and I did see his act. So I think that's what he's doing. I don't give him the benefit of the doubt. I feel like yeah. he's, he's doing the wrong thing. But many people believe that he's a brilliant comedian. Right. And he doesn't tickle that rib for me. Oh, yeah. So I'm not enthralled to him on any level. Right, And that right. may color what I'm experiencing. Oh, maybe. No, I find him really smart. And he's not saying stuff just for the hell of it. Oh, that's what I was saying earlier. I mean, I know when a comic will just make fun of people for the quick laugh. It's like using a dirty word to get a quick laugh or a right. dirty joke to get a quick laugh. Just facile humor because you're an inferior comic. Yes. And I don't think he falls into that category so much. But I don't know. More will be revealed. I got to watch the rest of it and, and see because I know there is the big story about the friend of his in San Francisco. And yeah, I'm that's only a good in the story. middle of that. Did you hear him refer to himself as a turf, which means. Oh, yeah. You did. I okay. couldn't even repeat what that meant, though. It was so convoluted. I don't even know what the acronym stands for. Trans-excluding radical feminist. Okay. Or trans-exclusive radical feminist. Got it. So what he's saying basically is, I don't believe that transgender women are actual women. 
This is what J.K. Rowling has gotten in trouble for. Right. That real women are real women. They have their periods. They can give birth. They're right. genitally right. correct, whereas right. trans women are right. not real women. And because, I think the more important point is, they didn't grow up with the kind of sexism that women who were brought up as girls and adolescents mm -hmm. and women right. experience, that they don't get to consider themselves in the same... Right. And that's a joke he made about Jenner was she was... Yes, she She'd only been a woman, woman for, of a, the year. Year. for a year. She hadn't gone through any of the <laughs> torture that women tend to go through. Yeah, which is a funny idea. But she probably went through her own form of torture, being trapped in that body. Exactly. The Caitlyn Jenner thing worked for me. Mm -hmm. That worked for no, me. No, I can see that too. But the rest of it really didn't. The rest of it seemed very angry and bitter. And it wasn't funny to me. It was, right. just wasn't funny. I think that was my biggest problem with it. Yeah. Was that it didn't make me laugh. Yeah. Don't make me laugh. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. Don't make me sing. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to talk about... Oh, I saw an amazing documentary on Netflix. Oh, uh-huh. Called The Silence of Others. And I don't know, I was just kind of scraping the barrel because I wanted to watch something and I didn't want to do a whole new Harry Potter movie yet. <laughs> so I saw the little tile on Netflix for this and I saw the little preview that Netflix shows you. And it's a film about the people who are still alive who suffered under the Franco regime in Spain. If you watch the scene that they show you as sort of the promo, it wouldn't make you want to watch it. They show this elderly woman pointing on this road and pointing to where people were killed and where her mother got killed and buried in a mass grave. Yeah. But it seems like it's just the reminiscences of one person. The movie itself is so much more than, not that that's not something to frame a movie around, but the movie's more than that. It talks about how when Franco finally died, I did not know this about Spain, they instituted a policy called national forgetting. And oh, they made an agreement. Right. The powers that were, whatever, whoever they were, the governmental powers in the new monarchy, what have you, they decided that it would be too... Traumatic? Yes, to go through all of the horrors that people had experienced under Franco and that it would put Spaniard against Spaniard and cause all this factionalism if they were to stir those embers. So they made this sort of collective decision to have no reckoning about huh. anything. And the idea was, we want to move forward. We don't want to go backwards right. and we don't want to splinter. That was a wow. policy for decades and decades. And people whose families had been murdered wanted some kind of justice, but there was no forum for it. Sure. You had people whose parents or grandparents had been shot and killed en masse and poured into mass graves, and then that has been covered over with a highway. And to them, it was really important to try to get the remains of their family back oh. so that they could properly bury them. Right. Personally, I don't think I would have that. To me, the bones and the body and the burial aren't a big deal. It's probably my Christian science background. But to these people who are mostly yeah. Catholic, I guess, that's really important. Yeah. Really important for their own sense of healing. But they had no way out. They had no way to pursue it because there was this policy that the Spanish government wouldn't... Wouldn't recognize it. Yeah, they just wouldn't open up those old wounds. And they thought that was a good thing because they thought it was causing the society to move forward. In the meantime, a law passed in some kind of international court that for crimes against humanity, you can prosecute someone from another country. In other words, you can have a prosecutor in Argentina with a Spanish survivor of Franco regime tell them what Franco did. And even though the Spanish government won't prosecute it, it can be prosecuted from Argentina under this agreement about crimes against humanity. Wow. 
I guess there was some barrier where there was some difficulty they had where there was a legal separation between crimes against humanity and writ large. And what about the individual who lost one relative? Does that count? Because it's just one person. It's not humanity. But they decided that, yes, of course it does. So it's the story of these survivors who are quite elderly already, but who were kids at the time who lost their parents, it's so powerful because it's just what it's about historically is amazing. But it goes deeper than that because it's really about what do you do with trauma from your past in order to heal? Do you put it in a box and put it away and say, I'm not going back there, I'm moving forward? Or do you go back and unearth and maybe experience some of that old pain, but by experiencing it, honoring your experience, getting to a place where you get some sense of owning your story Mm -hmm. and not being at the effect of it. On a historical level, it's great, but on an emotional level, I think it's a great story for anyone who's experienced any kind of past trauma and is torn about the best way to deal with it and is moving forward, really moving forward, if you don't take time to look back and reckon with the damage that was done. So it sounds like they had a reckoning. They did. They got their suit was, well, that's a spoiler, but they have a good result in the end. The beauty of the movie is just to see these people. And there was also something so touching about these beautiful elderly people, but you see the child in their faces and their eyes, Mm -hmm. especially when there's good news on the legal front and the hope that they get. And they want to just be able to honor their parents who they lost in such horrible circumstances. Wow. It's quite something. Anyway, so yeah, it's a successful movie on a historical level and on a personal emotional level. It's really powerful. It says in the little blurb on Netflix that it won some awards. I don't know if it won an Oscar, but it it won some some very uh, prestigious awards as best documentary. I want to recommend a film that's a fantasy film about the Franco era called Penn's Labyrinth. Oh, yeah. It's really powerful. And if you had your curiosity peaked mm-hmm. about what yeah. life was like under that regime, yeah, this is about that. And it's beautiful, and it's tragic, and it's soulful. Right. I wanted to pitch what is one of my favorite series called The Other Two. Oh, yeah. Which is on HBO Max. I think it started on Comedy Central or something and then went over to HBO Max. It's about a young Justin Bieber type, a kid in high school. He has a song called I Want to Marry You at Recess that goes viral, completely viral. He becomes a huge star. He's kind of clueless. He's very Mm -hmm. sweet and innocent. Mm -hmm. He doesn't really have an agenda. Right. But uh, his mother's really behind him and really wants him to follow his star. The other two are his brother and sister, his gay brother and kind of fuck up of a sister Mm -hmm. who are left in his wake and how they're trying to straddle Mm -hmm. his fame Mm -hmm. and wanting their own fame and wanting their own little corner of the sky. They're like the Lorna Lufts of the story. They absolutely (laughs) are. And they have their very poignant struggles, but it's also, it's a yuck fest. It's a joke machine. Mm -hmm. It's not like Friends. Right. It's relational. Yeah. But it's written by two people who were on Saturday Night Live. Oh, okay. And it's produced by Lauren Michaels. Okay. It's a half hour. So And Molly Shannon's in and it. And Molly Shannon is and in she, it playing the mother. Yeah. I've pinpointed what her specialty oh. is. She's great at playing hateful people who have no clue that they're hateful. She's just so good at it. She is. Yeah. Although, I don't think the Jackie is hateful. In this one, no, maybe not. Just clueless. No, she's oh, she's very clueless. Yeah. But things happen to her in the second. Okay. 
season. Am I on the third season? Wow, you're in it. Yeah, I think I'm in the third season now. It holds up. It's really funny is the one thing I want to say about it. Yeah. And the the lead actor is so cute. He reminds me of a young gay Jason Bateman. He has that ironic attitude, that sort of sarcastic edge to him. Right. Anyway, he's great. I'll try to move back into that. I watched one episode and really liked it. And then I just sort of forgot about it. It's easy to miss because it's not like it's promoted that heavily on HBO. No, it's not. People aren't buzzing about it. Yeah. It's not Squid Game. It's not Squid Game. (laughs) It's time to say goodbye. Okay. Goodbye, boomers. So long, boomers. Stay safe. And we'll talk to you again in a week. See you in a week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.